So in contemplating the various movements, effects that occur within chitta, within heart, mind, awareness. Contemplating how the boundaries of that change. We sense our heart is living within our body or it's enmeshed in a memory or it's caught up in an opinion or it's uh, associated with a theory, an idea. You know, so it's always within some kind of boundary. Mm. It can be a constricted boundary, get very dogmatic. You know, my heart's really in this, really in this. Uh, distracted, I don't know where it is, it's all over the place. Mm. Mm. Contemplating these, knowing these, aware of these, sensing these. Different forms. Mm. Energies that run through it, associated with resistance, aversion, you know, resisting, mm, slightly negative uh, relationship with experience, fascination, gratification, you know, kind of passionate engagement with experience in order to feed upon it, mm. delusion generating various theories and views that uh, obscure uh, awareness. These are kind of effects and the boundaries and then whether the citta feels bright, elevated, Mm -hmm. expanded as with a quality of metta or Release from sense contact, jhana, great chitta, is boundless, bright. Um, Noticing these change. This is the reference for the um, satipatthana. It's also the reference for liberation. Buddha says this chitta has been confused for a long time, running around for a long time. It can be purified and released from the asava, powerful tendencies that well up. Tendency to see, see things in terms of time. Bhavasava, this will continue this will extend. How long has this gone for? Where's it come from? When did it arise? You know? And within that time span, the sense of a being is born who persists through time. Without that sense of time, that being doesn't happen. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> We all talked about the, the brightness of spontaneity. Yeah. You know what it's like to just release expectation. A challenge, definitely. But the possibility of releasing that if the jitta is well cared for and knows itself. It doesn't have to expect, get anxious, Worried, plan, 
doesn't need to do that. It's, it's fulfilled in itself. So this release from this bhavasava can be cultivated. Without that release, one is bound to expectation, disappointment, craving and fantasies, uh, measuring and comparing, progress and decline, all this kind of stuff goes on with its stress. The asava of sensuality, considering oneself to somehow be the target or in an arena of sense contact, which neither really goes away, nor does it gratify. You know, so it doesn't, you know, it's there, but it, you can't find gratification in it, but you can't <laughs> say it doesn't exist. But chitta, if properly cared for, tended for, can turn away, not be interested, not be concerned about that. But kavasawa, not seeking food in that, therefore not getting disappointed by it. It's just that. It's just like a mirage of images on all levels moving through. Tactile images, tactile impressions flitter through sounds, sights, memories. Mm. Holding on to any of these will mean that jitta is bonded to something that has to change and break up. Therefore we'll feel lost again and hungry again. The release from bondage to these is recommended, needed and possible. Avijasava, the asava of ignorance, that which force which continually propels the chitta to look in the wrong direction, to look at sensuality, look for becoming something, look for something to hold on to. Uh, not realize itself. Not turn back upon itself. Mm. It's powerful. I need to be affirmed by something or somebody. Mm. And then it doesn't quite happen. We're really looking in the wrong place. And I guess these are the kind of uh, deep-rooted tendencies we barely recognize because they're so deep and they're so kind of decorated and covered with agitations and movements and sorrows and strong feelings and you know, reflexes, blurred reflexes, that we don't really get a clear sense of it. But it's through the so meditation practice here, really saying how the citta is affected, what drives it, what measures it, what binds it, what's it land upon, what is it getting engrossed in. And what are the strategies for releasing that? 
or the very notion of release itself reminds us this is about some kind of letting go. It's not about getting hold of something, it's about releasing or the release from clinging, upadana, feeding upon, the release from that. And this clinging is not a chosen uh, uh, action, it's a reflex action. Like it's so desperate that just clamps upon something to hold on to. Because the jitta isn't realized, therefore it's looking for support from something. So this uh, clinging then to be acknowledged as a mechanism and sensed what where does that what is that based upon what condition precedes that what condition what how does that mechanism snap shut one would have to say there's a kind of thirst thirst is the word used tanha craving thirst again a reflex not exactly chosen don't decide to get thirsty. It just happens, seemingly. But then you can contemplate the source of that thirst, feeling. Something feels pleasant or unpleasant, therefore. A thirst to have it, thirst to get rid of it. And so this is the whole process of inquiry, is recognizing the conditionality of these uh, fixations, processes, and the results of them. The results of them are, I am this. This is mine. I'm stuck in this. Mm. I want this. I'm this kind of person. Mm. And that's the result. <laughs> and it's also dissatisfied, not completed, unfulfilled sometimes really anguished. It's for the release, the cessation of anguish, dissatisfaction, that the Buddha teaches, recognizing that it's possible to curtail that experience, live happily, easily, comfortably. So as we contemplate any aspect in that, and one of the really strong triggering points is the end result, this sense of self, identification, which acts as the kind of repository for all these different uh, uh, processes. The self acts as the kind of, where all these things pour into the sense of existing in time, that's accumulated, that's myself. I did exist, you know, I'm 45 years old, I've been around for this time, I'm going to live for I don't know how long, but I will live for another minute or two anyway, probably. I exist in time. You know, that's the result of becoming. You say, well, sure, it's true, isn't it? I do exist in time. I was born 45 years ago, my birth certificate says so. 
Well, I look at anything. You don't look like you looked 45 years ago. You look like a different person to me. You're a lot bigger now. Yeah, yeah, I know my body's changed, but I basically exist. I've been around for 45 years, have you? Sure. Can you remember every moment of that? No, of course I can't. So you weren't around for all of it then, were you? <laughs> or some of it disappeared. You didn't hold it very well, did you? How much of your life can you remember? Well, it depends on what? It depends on what I remember. And what does that depend upon? The things I enjoyed, the things that hurt me, things I was excited about, the things I longed for, when I was interested. Oh, it depends upon interest and feeling, right? And a certain intensification a sense of, oh yeah, that was good, oh no, that was terrible. That's called craving. That intensification experience, where the juice of the mind runs in and starts glowing, that's what we call craving, thirst. And uh, so you're defined by your craving. <laughs> Or what, what it's lit upon. And it's really taking the kind of blaming out of this, it. just noticing the, the qualities that one remembers, one who's fond of, excited by it, the intensification, emotional intensification. And much of our life, well, so-called life, if you look at it on the statistically, most of it's gone. Don't remember it at all. Nothing. Yeah. A few incidents. And they get less as the intensification disappears, you know, neighbor, my teddy bear was probably very important when I was four, but I've forgotten it altogether now. Mm. You know, so who's that? Who, who is it who was very intensely involved with a teddy bear, lived for it, wept at its disappearance, its complete non-issue? Who was, where's he gone? <laughs> Did you get rid of him? No, no. Did you destroy him? No. Where did he go? Well, he kind of faded out. That's not a very good um, standard for a continuing self with bits of you keep fading out, is it? <laughs> and only kind of come into, come into awareness every now and then when lights go on. And when you go to sleep, are you the same person? Do you remember all that? How many hours How many hours you've been asleep for in your life? And how much of that is there for you? Probably none of it. So to say you've been alive for 45 years is really an exaggeration, <laughs> a distortion. And to say you're going to continue for another minute is an optimist, optimistic... <laughs> So where's the continuity? The continuity is in identification. That's been going on for a long time. It just changes its objects. I used to identify with my teddy bear. No, I don't. I identified with my job, and that's gone. Identified with my hairstyle when I was 16. Well, that went. <laughs> or my clothes. When I was wearing those really cool clothes when I was 18. That's gone. So the identification as a phenomenon 
keeps going, but what it's identified with changes. So we come back to certain persistent processes. Identification is what? That's that clinging, that holding to, that referencing to. It's based upon something that lights me up, something that stirs me up, something that gives me strong feeling. Uh, Craving, feeling, craving. Upadana, clinging, becoming, persisting in time. Self. Hmm. So one of the ways we begin to comb this area turn it over and reveal uh, specific here and now intimate reality not just the theories but the actuality of these um, all this stuff we inquire into self myself there is chitta changing Things happening. There's certainly awareness that seems to be there, some degree or another. And so, without stating one is or stating one isn't, these are the various wrong views that occur in terms of self to either deny it or affirm it. And so, let's inquire into it. So, this is the particular unique perspective the Buddha had on this whole topic of atta where he neither denied the empirical arising of it said yeah that definitely happens but didn't affirm the fundamental reality of it said well it dependently arises and the various ways one can begin to contemplate it like and say it's okay the phrase that he keeps referring to for inquiry is um, me. This is uh, me so. This is me. Aham as me. I am. This is myself. He see me atati. So this is the Pali for it. He uses this particular formula. He so, me so, this me. Aham as me. I am, and myself, me atati, this is my fundamental soul or entity, spiritual continuing entity. I said, well, just check out these, how these happen. Whenever you get that experience, oh, it's happening to me. This is a result of consciousness. Since consciousness arrives, presents uh, phenomena as those touch awareness I am being you know this happens to me this happens to me Chitta then becomes me the one who receives data me certainly there's a receiving of data <laughs> it receives data it receives sights it receives impressions mm. that flitter through yeah So we would say, yes, there is a receptivity there. 
is that personal? So you could say, I don't think I'll see a sight, instead I'll hear it. No, not really. You're bound to be the seer, or the hearer, or the toucher. And the one who's touched, who receives touch, the chitta experiences something very different from the one who sees. It's a very different experience. The me who's touched is much more sensitive and reactive than the me who sees. Which is things are distant. Yeah. Touch sense extremely intimate. And then the I am that arises. I am is sankara, the volitional. This is what I will do. This is how I will respond. This is the reaction that occurs. This is the aim. Mm. And it latches on. I am hungry. I need some food. I am annoyed. That hurt me. I am frightened. That fear arose. I am attaches to a verbal process, to a dynamic process. Could there be an I am without any dynamic process? Could there be an I am who's not hungry, happy, joyful, sad, miserable, excited, interested? What would that be? So it arises dependent upon certain activations. And if those activations are laid, I'm not annoyed. I'm not disappointed. Um, That changes the tenor and the uh, experience of citta. So there's no permanence in that. There's no lasting selfhood in that. There's not a lot of choice in it. Mm. So we start to contemplate these things more realistically as they actually are. The last one, meyatati, this is myself. This is a speculation. I must exist because there's something here. You can't say I don't exist. I do exist. You know, I don't know what I am, but I definitely exist as something or the other. I mean, some kind of immaterial spirit or ultimate consciousness or awareness. I'm, I'm awareness. That's what I am. Okay. Why do you keep making that? Why do you have to make that statement? Why can't it just be there is? Why is there grasping at awareness to make it into some lasting self? Do you need to do that? Is that necessary? Because uh, once we get to that, well, I am awareness, I am the ultimate awareness of reality, higher ultimate awareness of reality, (laughs) would you like to go for a walk? (laughs) It's beyond me. I am the ultimate unconditioned truth. Very good. (laughs) And what would you like for breakfast? (laughs) Can you adopt a relative position 
without feeling you've lost your ultimate unconditional reality, <laughs> which you were, until somebody started asking these embarrassing questions, silly questions. Or you can say, okay, I'm ultimate conditional, unconditional reality. Well, where did you come from then? How did you get in this? If you're ultimate unconditional reality, what did you get stuck in a body for? That wasn't pretty, it was pretty stupid, wasn't it? Because <laughs> this thing's going to die. How did that happen? If you're ultimate and unconditioned. Well, it wasn't always ultimate and unconditioned. So it wasn't really unconditioned. And as it began, <laughs> it began. So it began, or, you know, therefore it wasn't ultimate. Because if it began, it could possibly end even. So once you begin to recognize that even any suggestion of, of that identification, even on any level, there's a certain clinging, grasping, tension, that means some things can fit within that range and other things can't. So it's always excluding, it's locating, that's grasping, and then there's some sense of, once that grasp takes hold, there's some sense of time comes in. I will be for eternity. When the Buddha dies, is an eternal, unconditioned existence. And the Buddha says, I don't say that. And when the Buddha dies, it's completely extinct. I don't say that. When the Buddha is present, you know, he is in the aggregates. I don't say that. When the Buddha is present, he's not in the aggregates. I don't say that. <laughs> Why don't you say it? Because any statement you make always leads you into this grasping at some kind of entity. You don't need to do that. But, 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 surely there must be something. Well, contemplate what happens to the mind when you follow that habit. Grasping, clinging, speculation, doubt, frustration, pride, or worse, misery. I'm a defiled being who haven't got a single hope of stream entry for another eight calpers because of this, that, and the other. I'm a flawed human being stuck in New Jersey. What's the chance? (laughs) Wherever the Buddha rose, he never rose in New Jersey. It's impossible. (laughs) And I think you could probably have a point there. (laughs) (laughs) So we get this kind of miserable views of self. You know, too old, too stupid, too defiled. (laughs) Too late in my life anyway, and always bad karma. Cling again, you know, so it's not a decision. You know, because even a crummy self seems to be something that one gets clung to. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pathetic. There's that grip. What's that grip based upon? The thirst for happiness, the thirst for place of relief, purity, freedom from stress, freedom from pain, freedom from doubt, 
if I could only find the right thing to idea, I'd be free from doubt. If I studied hard enough, I'd be free from doubt. No, no. If you stop doubting, you'd be free from doubt. (laughs) How can you do that? (laughs) Well, don't attach to, to ideas and theories. See them as that which passes, causes delight, interests, bemuses, confuses, uh, gets fix, fixated upon, causes quarrels and arguments. Right? See it with a sense of, ooh, step back from that one. And in order to do that, develop the chittas, sati, its mindfulness, its strength, its faith, its joy. Yeah. Develop that, and then you'll be able to do that. Jit will be strong enough, happy enough to just, I don't need to get all this figured out. Oh. Not, you know, not dismissing it, but just this cannot be. It's impossible. Uh, it goes beyond mere reasoning. A phrase the Buddha used, this goes beyond reason and logic. So because that system cannot do it. It's a good system for sharpening pencils and getting to timetables working, but it's, it falls apart when you try to wrap it around the nature of reality. So just, but you know you are, there is. And it gets freer the less it gets defined wrapped up, clung to. So this is, you know, one we're looking at is the anatta inquiry as an ongoing practice. Nothing metaphysical, but just, you know, those persistent voices that one cheer, those chattering thoughts, those memories, those inquiries, those speculative ramblings, you know, that seem sometimes be quite interesting, other times really quite annoying, wish you'd shut up. <laughs> and uh, here, here I go again. Here I go again. My mind is like this. And that's, that's the point of inquiry. What's happening? What's happening? Your will, aversion, Hmm. your will, aversion is seen, understood, the nature of what's happening is accepted, that's what's happening, a certain amount of pressure goes off, struggle, lessons. So we get involved with what we're thinking about. A certain passion for thinking arises. We contemplate that sense of fascination, delight, passion. And it pops along, giving me nice little ideas and curious um, piece of information and you know, so forth. And just like soap bubbles popping, fireworks going off. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, on Catherine wheel, woo, in the mind, oh, that's a good one. 
gets a little bit weary of the process. So one loses interest realizing this doesn't actually go anywhere that fulfilling. And maybe there's, as you're experiencing that, you're losing aspects of your body, losing aspects of your heart, losing aspects of your clarity, you're getting obstructed, the jitters constricting around its obsessions, and we're missing out on something open and wonderful, which we can touch into. So with that sense of this is lesser, this kind of interesting, kind of skittish happiness around this, that and the other, which is not evil, but it does obstruct entry, entry into something that would lift you up. And there is that. And all our activities, however innocent they may be, if they're obsessed with, emphasize the active and diminish the receptive. And it's the receptive we can get a sense of rest and being supported and released from that fizzy, turbulent energy which gets stressful. And this is less stressful. This openness, this receptivity, this descent from activity of the brain into gentleness in the heart, breathing in the body, is actually sweeter, less forced, uh, less subject to that fascination. Ah, someone who begins to study and look at and value their freedom and release will find themselves going in that direction. The jitter will incline that way. It will incline. We must remember that the jitter is fundamentally an intelligent system. It does get bamboozled and hypnotized. But if we begin to gently introduce it to, what about this then? Ah, oh, how does that feel? Mm. It will incline. Mm. For its own welfare. And when it does so, the sense of the thirst and the gripping releases. And as that familiar chatty self that I'm so used to dissolves. Maybe just for a few minutes. But, oh, I don't have to be myself to be here. And in some cases, when that chatty stuff is extremely abusive or painful, that is indeed a relief, a refuge to not be trapped in that. When it's angry and frustrated, we just sense this is the energy bursting into the mind, steaming up, 
And here you are, space around you, breathing in, breathing out, warmth of the body, openness available. Which would you prefer? You know? And then we come into our, you know, the place where we get fixated. You meet those. And the Buddha listed these in its very simplistic or rudimentary way as sense, sense contact, sense gratification, you know, whereby, you know, I want to figure out what dinner I'm going to cook on Christmas Day. I've got to get, once I get that done, I'll get back to meditation. I know it's only December 7th, but it's time to start planning now with a cranberry sauce and Take, you know, to stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> I just get this figured out, and then I go back to breathing it out. Okay, breathing out. Well, what about, but then again, you could have parsnips. No, stop it, stop it. <laughs> it's kind of struggle. I have a few of these myself. They're not around Christmas dinner, but there are other things. And you get this sense of this one determined thing is going to escape from meditation and do its little thing in a corner somewhere while the meditator isn't watching or figure out something. You know, once I've got that, I'll nip back to meditation. But the meditator starts to recognize this going on. This fellow keeps creeping out <laughs> and doing some designing in the corner or writing a poem or figuring out something. Else. He knows this one's getting away. So the meditator gets a bit more, come on, behave yourself. Back, back. <laughs> and the little fellow goes back to the meditation when the meditator's not looking because he's watching his breath. <laughs> this little fellow runs out again and starts doing some business in the corner. So these two go on. Eventually lock horns. <laughs> Who's going to win? And I remember happening this and just at one point just getting to that, looking at these two separate entities I just thought, wow, you guys have been out doing this for a long time. Something <laughs> <laughs> ah, we just stepped back and I found the whole thing so so funny and lovable, really. The, the, the tenacious <laughs> grasping of the mind. <laughs> no. Determination to suffer for what? <laughs> Nobody's going to stop me. <laughs> I'm having my obsessive thoughts. <laughs> okay, sweetie, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh, don't see. <laughs> and then suddenly just, oh, oof. it's not me. Just happening. Oh. And the whole temperature of the mind just cool down and both the meditator and the rebel both dissolved <laughs> the sense of just being here feeling a lot of love and ease <laughs> and the jitta when it returns to its unbroken state it just feels love and ease because that's what it is when it's not tangled dogmatic 
and just very, very patient, very patient and kind to go through these gripping experiences, we're chewing over a painful memory. That was 15 years ago. You haven't, you just can't suppress it. <laughs> and you know it's stupid. And it shouldn't be there. And surely you should have got over this by now. And you should practice more metta towards that. And it just doesn't want your metta. <laughs> Okay, okay. How are you? How are you? You know, bitter grudge. Hello, Miss Bitter Grudge. How are you doing in there? Walk around. Take your time. Bitter grudge. You can walk around. Enjoy the flowers. Uh, plenty of things to move around in. Miss Bitter Grudge. You can keep going for as long as you like. Bitter grudge goes. Oh, I don't feel so bitter and grudging anymore. <laughs> And then that unlocking thing. Yeah. Yeah, I did see something that was rather stupid. Yeah, and I think she probably wasn't on her best day when that happened. Yeah. And people do say things impulsively. Yeah. Wow, it's tough being a human being. And compassion. So these positions, positioning around sense contact, around status, around uh, hanging on in terms of time, or trying to trying to rid oneself of the past, vibhava, get rid of the past, just cut it off or try to extend oneself into the future, or keep hashing over and continuing the past. Mm-hmm. We begin to think, we have the past, trying to suppress the past, get rid of the past, or cure the past, or get better in the future. All of these are wrong views, because there is no past, there is no future. There's just unhappiness, Anxiety, tension, gripping, uh, longing. Resolve that. Meet that. Lovingly, patiently, openly as it is, without taking a position about what one should or shouldn't be. Unraveling, release from clinging. release from time. And I guess one of the things that uh, is so often, you know, a good amount of questions that are brought to me uh, is feelings of guilt, regret, asking for forgiveness, done stupid things, or other people have done stupid things to me, the past, yeah. And you say, well, don't concern yourself too much about the feeling, 
soften the sense of past that does you no good at all that just makes you feel more stuck still going on after all these years forget that one you don't need that one what you need to focus on is the feeling of stark, inadequate, closed down something wrong with me and then begin to release the blaming of others and yourself that although it may have some truth in it this time it doesn't serve you well at all it's just going to keep you in a frustrated tribunal pugnacious belligerent victimized state doesn't do you any good release that you know just say okay i definitely feel the feeling and we the rest of it that's the focal point the feeling the feeling of pain pain is happening to whom is it happening Don't, don't try to get rid of the pain, the hurt, but just a question that you would probably never think of asking, to whom does this pain occur? At that moment, what? Well, me? Uh, well, um, um, uh, well, um, he shouldn't, no, no, well, to whom is this pain occurring? Oh, it's in my heart. Oh, I'll go in your heart. Okay, where's that? <laughs> well, I get this funny tension in my throat. Oh, there it is. Okay, so just practice with that in the body. And gripping around the chest. Practice with that. Or it could be a, a trembling, an upheaval. Practice with that. Practice spreading your awareness over that. Spread your awareness over it. Attend to it. Span it. Encompass it. Listen to it deeply. Pain, pain. And then the me disappears. Awareness receiving pain. So progressively, elements of this dukkha can be disbanded. When awareness receives pain, there's compassion. It's not something you decide to do, that's kind of what happens. And you may not have that word, but some sense of an emotional release, or a dispassion, or a releasing. That's what awareness does, because it doesn't doesn't bond. Mm. So then, this sense of you know looking into the me in experience, rather than denying there is a self, is valid, because it gets us to the point of where dukkha can be understood and released. Another way in which um, clinging occurs is called systems and customs or precepts and observances. We get into systems, structures. What we notice about systems and structures, everything from the government, the airline industry, every system and structure doesn't work. (laughs) And we think we could invent one that does. We just tinkered with it a bit more. Go right ahead. You try and find one. 
<laughs> that's going to actually fit the fluid dynamic nature of reality so that I don't have to pay attention to the reality of what's happening. I can just follow the rule, switch on, the, push the button, sign on dotted line and things will happen. That's what I want. I want that automatic, safe, I don't have to be present with what's experienced. I can just, it says this in the book, therefore I'll do that. (laughs) And we create these things in our minds. Not external structures, it's Tuesday, therefore I do this on Tuesday. Every Tuesday I do this. I don't have to think about it. I don't actually, I adopt conventions as security, as orientations. And one can defend them with some tenacity. It's a Sabbath day. It's the observance day. This is this. This is the right way to practice. It's this. And you feel that gripping, that intensification. Here we go. And with all these, there's a denial of the responsibility that is required for freedom. You have to listen, learn, sense what your jitta is doing. When it's leaning on something, resisting, grabbing, respond to that. And it's kind of uh, disorienting. Most of us want something to tell us what to do, when to do it, how to do it. But, you know, you find that eventually the challenge of being awake brings more strength, more patience, more resolve, more ingenuity, more wisdom, more tenacity into your experience than if you're just relying on something. It brings out the best in you. That's why, you know, the Buddha recommended homeless life. and It doesn't just mean a physical home. <laughs> There's all kinds of things we, we dwell in that have to be sensed. We dwell in our communities, our institutions. This is right. This is the right way. Don't say it. Yeah. And uh, there's no home in any of that. Any of those you live within, whether it's a country, a nation, you're going to say, this aspect of this nation I really dislike. Doesn't fit me at all. And that goes all the way down the line to any anything, any structure you find yourself within. As bits you just bear with, bits you like, bits that seem okay, bits you just gloss over. But okay, you know, it's there. You live within it, or you operate within it, but you live in the chitta, working with the patience, the release, the letting go, the equanimity, the energy, the patience. And then this area of our life becomes a place for dynamic awakening. You've got to keep on your toes. The lights will break down. The heating system will give up. 
a manager will go sick. You know, fire alarm goes off, right? <laughs> Whatever you're in. And then you just got to have your stuff together, have your wits about you. When you look at it on the subtler level, you know, meditation systems, techniques, yeah, as long as, it, as long as you're keeping on what works for you, what you can manage at this time, so you're not idealistic or striving for something you can't thought within your range, dealing with a language you don't understand, and you're trying to refer simply to where there's benefit, uh, even if it's gradual and slow benefit, and you're not increasing the amount of suffering, stress and clinging, this will work for you. And the last, the Buddha said, clinging to any idea of self, either self to be perpetuated or self to be annihilated, self to be seen as existing in some heavenly realm, self as to be sensed as some kind of miserable, you know, accident by God. <laughs> any, of these, any of these will cause you suffering and stress. You, you, you can live without it. Uh, and notice whenever that occurs, the clinging, gripping. Uh, chitta can be free from this. So there's room for our investigation, contemplation, deep subjective inquiry in reviewing this uh, this area.